Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21 Radio. Today, we are looking at what I call the sleeper verse. In fact, it's only one half of a verse. We're looking at Revelation chapter 21, and particularly the second half of verse 7. But I'll read all of verse 7 to begin with. He who conquers shall have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now, we're nearing the end of the book of Revelation. We hit the point in the timeline as we're going through the book that we're in the closing paragraphs of the book of Revelation. The final conflict is over. And a lot of things I'm sure caught our attention, you know, seven-headed beast, uh, this antichrist figure described so vividly by St. John. We saw the, the woman clothed with the sun in Revelation 12. We saw the battle of Armageddon in Revelation chapter 16, and now we just come and uh, I will be his God and he'll be my son. Well, you know, there's probably not a whole lot of prophecy conferences revolving around Revelation chapter 21 and verse 7. Last time we talked about being a conqueror, and basically a conqueror is to get through the period, particularly approaching the second coming of Christ, and those who get through have this heritage God says, I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now, let me just ask a question. Okay, after this conflict is over, uh, the conflict of all conflicts, the Antichrist, the beast, and all that's thrown in a lake of fire, well, what happens to us? Okay, we go to heaven, and we've already covered in, in this study that heaven is where Jesus is, and Jesus is on the new earth. So we're not flying away to the clouds. We'll be eternally with Christ on a new earth. But anything significant that just happens to us, we'll just be, you know, by God's power, just brought there, brought into this existence, or something significant happen? Well, this, in a sense, is of the essence of what everything from the first moment of creation is all about and what it is aiming for. Everything is is finding its culmination in this last half of this verse that's so easy to overlook. And actually, it goes on even before that, but I'm getting ahead of myself. There's a really interesting book published by Ignatius Press entitled, Called to be the Children of of God. And remember, this verse says, I will be his God. He will be my son if you conquer through this time. Scott Hahn wrote the foreword to this book. It's a little on the heady theology side, but if you can understand what this book is talking about, it could be life-changing. But Scott writes the foreword and just says in some very simple words here, something that if you get this, you'll get the kind of whole scheme, not only of what the book of Revelation is aiming for, but everything, Genesis to Revelation. Here's what Scott says. Christianity is about salvation. And then he quotes Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to 
save what was lost. So, okay, Christianity is about salvation. But then he asked the question. This is a question you want to ask yourself, your students, your parishioners, <laughs> okay, your kids. What do we mean when we speak of salvation? What exactly are we talking about? And now here's the sentence that you want to grasp. For we are not merely saved from sin, we are saved for sonship. You see, if you know, you would answer because Jesus saves me from my sins, that's correct, but that's half the answer. Um, and in fact, the most important other half of the answer is we're saved for sonship. And that's why this verse that's so easy to overlook is so important. In fact, Remember, St. John wrote the book of Revelation. He also wrote the gospel, according to St. John. In the opening of the gospel of John, chapter 1, we find this in verse 12. But all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become the children of God. You see, it's right there in the first chapter of St. John. It's, we're not just saved from sin, we're saved for sonship. We're saved to become children of God. You know, I'm embarrassed to tell you how many books I have because I probably really overdo it. But in any case, of all the books in my library, there's only one that I've written, and I don't remember the exact words, but in case any of my children or whoever, even if my book ends up in the goodwill use book section, there's only one book in my entire library that has something in it like saying, the book you're holding is incredibly valuable, and the introduction to this book should literally be read 100 times. And again, there's not another book in my entire library that has that in there, because just as you know, this is a kind of a used book, and it'll be easy, like, you know, talk, give this one to Goodwill. <laughs> give every other book in my library to Goodwill. Keep this one. The book is called Children of God, because this is what we are gunning for. And in fact, it was way back in 1994. Scott Hahn and I were at a conference, and he found a copy of this in a used bookstore he was going through. He already owned two or three copies of this. So it's from a Monsignor Coutage entitled Children of God. I've already quoted a portion of this book in my, my book that I authored on justification. I'm writing another book right now. I'm also quoting this. Uh, again, this is unlike any other book of the many books in my library. I'm going to give you the gist of it right now. Quote, our divine adoption is the central concept of Christianity the truth to which all the others relate, towards which they all converge, the truth through which they become clear, around which they are synthesized. All other truths flow from it as from their source, radiate from it as from their center, rest upon it as their foundation. The words, 
Pater Noster, the Our Father, that Jesus himself placed at the beginning of the prayer he taught us might well be engraved in gold letters over the portals of all our churches to sum up and define what is taught in them and the substance and purpose of their religious ceremonies. God is our Father. We are his children. That is the whole of our holy religion. The reason Christianity is different from other religions and surpass them infinitely is because it is the religion of the children of God, the religion of a God who is a father. And that's why this sleeper verse in the second half of Revelation 21.7 is so incredibly important. And you know, um, Monsignor Coutage in this book, children of God, he says, this adoption is a central concept of Christianity. And it's interesting, I wrote my book on justification to try to bring some harmony between evangelicals and Catholics, and not by watering down the Catholic faith, but by showing that if you bring the doctrine of adoption into close alignment with the doctrine of justification, a lot of the objections to Catholicism fall away. And as Kutaj says, this is a truth through which all the other doctrines are synthesized. All other truths flow from it. Adoption. Now, in Protestant doctrine of, a, of a justification, they separate adoption. They don't deny it, but they separate it from the doctrine of justification. And I try to show through church fathers, church doctrine, and lots of scripture, that that's just not true. Because the Protestants insist, if you read their systematic theologies, that these two must be separated, but they don't happen to quote one of those verses they so frequently quote to substantiate what they're saying. Because at the core of justification is adoption. So if you want to know the difference between Catholic justification and Protestant, Catholic justification is God the Father reconciling his wayward son. In Protestantism, it's a guilty person standing before a judge. Uh, good works, Protestants think you're working as a slave. Well, that happens when you talk about good works if you divorce it from adoption. But if God's your father, it's a privilege for children to work with their dad, not as a slave, but as a son. That's what Jesus did with St. Joseph. Same thing with merit. God rewards his children. He's not paying a salary to slaves or employees. And so the greatest difference between Protestants and Catholics can be healed if you bring adoption into it. And the same thing, when you're talking about God's plan for the ages, okay, we're now in Revelation 21. You know, I see the finish line. Revelation 20, 22 is just ahead. We're nearing it. We've gone through the horrible events leading up to this point in time. And now the believers, the faithful in Christ, those who had ears to hear have conquered. And now what happens? I will be their God. They will be my sons and my daughters. They'll be part of the family. And it's amazing, in Romans chapter 8, you don't hear a whole lot about this, but you know, what happens to us at this point? In, when we go to the new earth, we have real bodies, but Romans 8 says, when we have adoption of sons fully, 
we're going to have transformed and glorified bodies that if you saw yourself at this point in Revelation 21 today, you would faint. And not faint out of fear or horror, like, oh, no, not my aching back again. No, a perfect glorified body that is so incredibly wonderful that you would faint out of wonderment. That's who you are going to be. And if you want a little picture of what you're going to look like, um, it's Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, because in his glorified humanity, he is going to share that with you if you make it to the conqueror's finish line. And this is, and not only that, it says the entire created universe becomes new when you receive your new body. Right now, it's groaning because of original sin. It pervades not only earth, but the universe. It's going to be renewed with the glorious liberty of the children of God. Folks, this is the finish line. This is what starting at the very, very beginning, and even the book of Ephesians seems to hint before the foundation of the world, this was God's plan to have sons and daughters that he shares his own divine life and glory with. We're transfigured, we're glorified. And the nice thing is, we don't have to wait. Now, we have to wait to get that glorified body. Until then, we have the back aches and the knee aches and all that other stuff. But we really don't have to wait till the second coming to begin to have a relation with God as Father. In St. John, again, the same man who wrote the book of Revelation, St. John said in his letter, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are, present tense. Beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Pretty good news. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 135 of Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. To learn more about biblical prophecy and to order copies of Luke 21 broadcasts, visit us online at luke21.com. Thank you.